um, we'll, we'll jump into things here. So all the kiddos, you can head downstairs, and um, we will jump in. So if you want to, you can get prepared. Um, we'll read in a couple minutes, but um, you can get prepared. We're going to be looking at Acts um, chapter 1. So obviously, uh, Chris, he's not here this morning. He's, um, like I said, he's up preaching at Cross of Grace Church in Chaska, Minnesota. And last week, um, if you were here, if you've been at Providence for a while, you know that we've been going through um, the book of Luke for quite some time. And we finished last week the book of Luke. It's like we finally made it. I don't know if this date has any significance for you. January 11th, 2015. Maybe you were at Providence. Maybe you weren't. That's the first Sunday we started almost three and a half years ago. I look back at our archives. Um, We've been going through the book of Luke since January 11th, 2015. We started that journey, and we've been walking through the book of Luke. We had some breaks here and there, but it's been three and a half years when you look back. And um, as I was preparing for this and thinking about this, I was just struck again. um, I was just struck thinking back the last three and a half years. I just want to take a second and note just God's kindness and his goodness and his faithfulness in giving us his word. And just in the word of God, it's so good. You know, you just think like people come and go, circumstances change, situations change, things can toss us around, but God's word never changes. I mean, that's the foundation. That's the hope that we have, right? It teaches us. God's word restores us. It reveals Jesus to us. And um, just for all the folks that have been at Providence for the last three and a half years and all this stuff, it's just like, man, we can look back. And the constant that we have is God's word, right? That's our hope. That's our foundation, our foundation. It's, and I just had my little northern accent come out there. I, I heard myself. I was like, I've been in Minnesota too long. But that's God's, that's, that's our hope. That's our foundation is, is, um, is the word of God. It's good. It's just moments like these where I want to stop and think back and look at God's faithfulness. So just think about that as we're, as we're, um, as you hear God's word this morning. So with that, what's next? We spent three and a half years in a book, and what do we do next? Where do we go from here? And um, in answering the question of what's next, um, I want to lead into um, what do we what do we do next? That's what that's what I want to lead into. So as we come to the end of Luke. Um, like we came to the end of Luke last week, we were left with um, the disciples, right? They had some final instructions, the Great Commission, and then Jesus leaves them. Jesus physically leads them, leaves them, and he ascends into heaven. So now just before Jesus ascends into heaven, they had to be thinking, they had to have some of the same questions that we might have, right? For Jesus, okay, What's next, Jesus? Jesus, where do we go from here? Jesus, what do we do now? And I want you to just think about this for a second. I want you to put yourself in their shoes. So just think about the disciples. They spent three years with this man, Jesus, right? They left a lot of things to follow him. They left careers. They left family. They left certain lifestyles. And they really gave themselves wholeheartedly, as best as they could, to following this man, Jesus, on his mission, right? Just think about that. Then, towards the end of this three-year stretch, 
they see this man, Jesus, who they've given everything for, they see him arrested by the Romans. They see him tried for treason and blasphemy. They see him nailed to a cross. They see his dead body physically put into a tomb. And then they see him resurrected. And they see his physical body resurrected, right? And then he continues to show himself to them for the next 40 days. And now I want you to think about, man, what would it have been to walk through something like this? Like you've given everything for this man, Jesus, right? You've given all you have as best as you can. Like these guys, they were just trying their best. They're like, man, we've given you everything, Jesus. And now you're doing what? You're leaving us? Like, what's this all about? You're leaving us? Jesus, where do we go from here? What do we do now? What's next? And in a lot of ways, I think a lot of times, we can end up in the same place, the exact same place as the disciples. We've committed to following Jesus. You know, we know Jesus. We know who he is and what he's accomplished for us. But then maybe when, um, when something unexpected comes up, maybe when following Jesus doesn't necessarily fit into our context or our agendas or how we think following Jesus is going to look like, we kind of ask the same questions, right? We're like, so Jesus, what's next for me? Like, what am I supposed to be doing with all this? Or maybe sometimes it's just as simple as looking at our own lives and we just don't see a lot happening. Like, Jesus, I'm trying as best as I can. Like, I'm doing what I can, but I just don't see much happening. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't see this kingdom that you're proclaiming. We're just left in kind of like the boring and the mundane, and we feel like we're just slogging along following Jesus, and we're left with the weight of the question of, Jesus, like, what do I do? Jesus, what's next? Where do I go from here? It feels like you're not really there, like you've, like you've left. What do I do? So to answer the question of what's next, we're actually going to, just logically, I'm kind of a logical person, we're going to look at what happens next in the book of Acts. So um, if you haven't already, if you'd please turn to um, the book of Acts, and before um, jumping in to the book of Acts, just a little context. Um, so Luke was, um, just jumping back to Luke, what we went through, Luke, um, Dr. Luke, he was a physician. He wrote to Theophilus, um, his namesake, the Gospel of Luke. And when he's writing to Theophilus, he was explaining in this first book that he's writing to Theophilus, he was, he was explaining who Jesus was and what Jesus began to do and teach. And then he wrote a second letter to Theophilus called the book of Acts. So it's kind of like a sequel. Acts is kind of like a sequel. And, and I even encourage you guys, you know, we just spent a lot of time in Luke, just during your personal time with the Lord, I'd encourage you to read Acts now. It just kind of naturally and logically follows the progression of what we were just studying. So Luke is kind of like a continuation. It is a continuation of the writings to Theophilus detailing, okay, here's what Jesus did. Here was what his ministry was like. And now we're in Acts. Here's how it spread throughout the earth. Here's how the kingdom of God spread. And I just want to be clear to you. Um, we're not going to be necessarily starting um, a new series in Acts. This is kind of a one-off. Um, but just kind of think of today as um, kind of like a, a, a capstone to what we've been going through or maybe like a bonus scene. 
Um, one of my favorite movies is Napoleon Dynamite. And if you ever watch Napoleon Dynamite, at the very end, it's like you're getting out of the movie theater, the credits are rolling, and then there's that bonus scene that's there. You know, it's like there's, some, there's a little bit of good stuff left at, at the end of the movie. So um, kind of think about that uh, like, uh, like that this morning. Hopefully this is a, kind of like a bonus scene to, to Luke. So if you'd read Acts 1, and we'll read uh, verses 1 through 14 with me. Luke writes, he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, referring back to the book of Luke. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria until and to the end of the earth. And we had, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So there's three things this morning that I want to point out, that I want to highlight from what we just read as we consider these what's next moments that we often find ourselves in, that the disciples found themselves in. So those three things, his promise, our perspective, and a proclamation. So we have a promise, perspective, and proclamation. And just so you don't miss Chris too much, I had to add some alliteration there. Um, so there you go, Josh's. Is that good? Um, so his promise, a perspective, and a proclamation. So first, we have his promise, Jesus' promise. So now before Jesus ascended into heaven, just before Jesus goes back to be with the Father in heaven, Acts 1 shows us, after Jesus rose from the dead, what did he continue to do for 40 days? Acts 1 very clearly says that he continued to speak about the kingdom of God. And I want to highlight that. He spoke about the kingdom of God. And that's an important point to note. 
And I think that's a note that Luke very explicitly tells us that's what Jesus was proclaiming. That's what he was explaining. That's what he, was, he continued to be about. It wasn't just these last 40 days. It was his entire ministry, right? He was always proclaiming the kingdom of God. But he very explicitly, these last 40 days, tells the disciples and proclaims, hey, this is about the kingdom of God. And not only did he speak about the kingdom of God, but he lays out a promise. Acts 1, 4 through 5, Jesus says this. He says, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen, you guys. You need to go back to Jerusalem. Go back to Jerusalem. Don't leave there. Don't do anything. Don't do anything when you go back to Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for this promise of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise, right? The promise is the Holy Spirit is coming. And Jesus is very clear. He says, don't do anything. Don't go out and try to do a whole bunch of stuff, but wait for the Holy Spirit. In fact, even earlier, before Jesus' death and resurrection, it's kind of funny how um, surprised the disciples are. They're kind of like us a lot. They just get surprised. They hear one thing and it happens and they have to continually be reminded. But before Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus says the same thing. He says, hey, I'm going to go back to the Father. And when I go back to the Father, it's actually a good thing that I go away because I'm going to give you the helper. I'm going to give you my very spirit, the very presence of God, which is going to dwell inside of you to empower you to be my witnesses. So that's the very first thing Jesus tells the disciples to do. He says, wait, wait in Jerusalem. Why? Because there's a promise that's coming. The promise of the Holy Spirit is coming, which leads us into the second point we see from the text. And that is our perspective, the disciples' perspective in all of this. So I want you to look at this. I want, I want you to see something here. Right after Jesus tells his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for this promised Holy Spirit, and this is so interesting, even as you're reading through this, what's the very next thought? What's the very next presumption that the disciples had? What, what's, what's their whole context for what Jesus is about? What's their perspective? What's their angle in all of this? Acts 1 says that here's how they responded. And you have to remember, this is after the road to Emmaus. This is after, this is after they met with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And they were like, hey, we were hoping you know, this Messiah was going to come. This is after Jesus opened their eyes to the scripture. They're still hung up on this point. The very next thing they say is, oh, so Jesus, yeah, you're, you're, you're preaching about your kingdom. This is going to come. Oh, so is this when you're going to restore the kingdom back to Israel? So this is really about Israel, right? I want to pause here and emphasize the kingdom part of the kingdom of Israel. That's what the disciples were concerned about, right? Their kingdom, their nation. And now compare that to what Acts 1-3 says Jesus was continually talking about. Jesus was continually talking about his kingdom, the kingdom of God. What did the disciples seen and heard Jesus proclaim in word and deed the last three years? The kingdom of God, his kingdom. So I really want to hone in on this. So hearing what the disciples heard and seeing what they saw... I mean, don't you just want to be like, come on, guys. Like, don't you get it already? 
like, man, you don't understand. This is not about, like, the kingdom of Israel. Like, this isn't about Jesus' rescue mission. That's not primarily what this is about. There's something bigger going on here, guys. This isn't necessarily about you. This isn't about your, your agenda. This isn't about your own angle. This isn't about your perspective. But isn't it ironic? Isn't it funny how we can hear Jesus say something? He can speak to us something even very clearly at times. And we can see so many evidences of God's kindness, so many evidences of his grace. But man, because we have a perspective problem, because of our selfishness, because of our pride, because our own agenda can so subtly, subtly sneak in, we just kind of twist things to serve ourselves, don't we? Our own self-worship, it can rear its head, and it can take these really good things, like the promised gift of the Holy Spirit, can take these good things, and we can twist them to say, oh, so Jesus, you're going to give me this promise, so, man, like, I can, I can serve and people will notice me now, right? Like, man, my family is going to be, like, really impressive. Or, man, this relationship is going to be restored now, right? Or, man, I'm, 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 this job situation is going to be great. That's something we need to re- recognize. Our bent and our tendency is to become, just like the disciples, little self-centered, self-agenda injectors. That's what we are. We're just like, boop. Pop in, here's my own little self-agenda. This is how I'm gonna how, how I'm gonna perceive things. That's our bent, that's our tendency. Just like the, the disciples, we can see Jesus do some miraculous things. Man, we're good at articulating his promises, right? And we can claim to even be gospel-centered all day long, but at the end of the day, if we're not careful, our own perspective and our own agendas can easily lead us into building a kingdom that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And it's scary how subtly that can happen, right? Just like with the disciples. It's scary. It's scary how easily that can sneak in. So the last point I want to highlight before digging into some application a a bit deeper this morning, the last point is we see a proclamation. Jesus makes a proclamation so in all of this, what's all this building to? What's the, what's, what's, what's the climax here? So let's recap real quick. Jesus promises to the, to the disciples, he says, hey, there's a gift coming. And he says, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. There's a promise coming, right? But why? What's the whole point of the Holy Spirit coming? Why is this gift? Why is this promised Holy Spirit coming to the disciples? What does all this lend itself to? The disciples don't really get it, right? They have a perspective problem, so they they inject their own agenda. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, this promise given of the Holy Spirit's coming, so this is when you're going to give us the nation of Israel back, right? But Jesus very kindly and very patiently reminds the disciples, hey, you guys, this is what it's all about. Jesus says, here's what the promise is. Here's why I'm giving you the promise. And Jesus notes that the purpose or the whole objective, the whole reason in giving the Holy Spirit is that the kingdom of God would be proclaimed, that his kingdom would advance throughout the earth, that his disciples would be living, breathing examples, that they'd be witnesses of God's kingdom. That's the end game. 
Like, that's, that's it. It's simple. That's the objective. That's where all of this lends itself to, a proclamation of God's glory to the ends of the earth. So with that, two sub-points of application here I want to jump into. The first thing is this. The first sub-point is this. Lesser kingdoms and lesser causes. Lesser kingdoms and lesser causes. And what I mean by that, what I mean by lesser kingdoms and lesser causes is this. A lot of times, like the disciples, I don't necessarily know, and I was thinking about how to say this, um, and, and Chris did a really good job of setting this up as well, but I don't think a lot of times we necessarily have like a belief problem in who Jesus is. Like we believe, you know, like the disciples, they believe, they knew who Jesus was, right? There's idolatry that sneaks in. There's a lot of things that sneak in, right? We're, we're kind of like that guy with a, with a sick son and we're like, man, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. It's like, we know who Jesus is, but we just don't see him clearly. We have a perspective problem. We don't see Jesus rightly. We know who Jesus is and everything he's accomplished for us, and we have all this information about who Jesus is, but man, we just don't see him rightly. Our perspective is off. And that's why so many times my prayers are focused on for myself, for my family, for you guys. God, open our eyes to see you clearly. Because I think when we see Jesus rightly, like that just clears everything up. That solves all our problems. We see Jesus rightly and, th and that's it. But like the disciples, we can know Jesus, but our perspective can so easily become self-focused and self-absorbed that we lose sight of the whole reason of what this is all about, why God gave himself. And we just think about like this great treasure, this great gift that God has given himself to us, that God made a way for us to be with him. And we forget why we forget what it's all about. Like the disciples, we dumb it down. We lose sight of the whole reason God rescues messed up people like us. We lose sight of the whole reason God gives us his good gifts. Because of our perspective problem, we can turn a simple instruction of, hey, you guys, wait for the promise. Just wait. Here's how things are going to happen. And we could so easily just turn it into like this complex, laborious, like this heady thing that we're like, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to figure this out. And Jesus is just like, man, just wait for the Holy Spirit. Get your eyes set on me. And we start twisting into this laborious struggle to build our own kingdom. Because of our perspective problem, we can so easily get caught up into building lesser kingdoms and spending ourselves on lesser causes that aren't going to last anyway. So I think it's good in these moments to even just stop at times. It's good to just even pause. And I even encourage you to do that sometime this week. Just pause. Talk with your spouse. Talk with your family. Just pause realign your targets and remember what this is all about. Let's remember what we've been brought into, that this is all about participating and proclaiming the kingdom of God. This is what we were created for. This is what we've been brought into, being witnesses of God's goodness and his glory to the ends of the earth. So starting right here, think about this. Here at Providence, in your families in your marriages, and the way that you spend your money, and the way that you spend your time, 
in your schools, in your neighborhoods, in the places you work, in your relationships. And a lot of times, a lot of those places can feel like the ends of the earth. A lot of times those places can feel very hard and even lonely. But what are you proclaiming in all this stuff? Man, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to waste our time here with what we do at Providence. I don't want to waste time in my family. I don't want to waste time when I go to work tomorrow morning in Olathe. I don't want to waste time in relationships, building lesser kingdoms and promoting lesser causes that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. So whose glory is at stake in what you proclaim with your time, your attention, your wealth, your marriage, your family? Is it about your little nation? Is it about building your nation or the kingdom of God? The second sub-point here, and that is, the necessity of the Holy Spirit. And I was trying to think of a clever way to talk about this, but there really isn't. It's just kind of like so black and white that you can't really say this any more bluntly or cleverly. Um, It's just we're flat out powerless and helpless without the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the same thing in Acts 1. He says to the disciples, he knows they're powerless and they're helpless. He says, hey, you guys, wait in Jerusalem. Wait for this gift. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And you need to wait for the Holy Spirit because my spirit is going to empower you. Like, this is how you're going to get the power to be my witnesses and go to the ends of the earth. This is how it's going to happen. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says, wait. That's why he doesn't say like, hey, maybe you can start like preaching over here on the side and doing some stuff. He says, no, wait for the Holy Spirit. I know you're helpless. I know you can't do anything without my power. You have to wait for the Holy Spirit. Nothing else is going to, nothing else is going to help you. And it's the same for us today. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, man, we are just going to be spinning our wheels doing stuff. And man, I've been in the context of church. I'm 38 years old. I grew up in a Christian family. My dad was a pastor. Like I've been around Christian stuff and things long enough to know Like, man, there was burnout so fast. So fast people can burn out. When the Holy Spirit, when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, like, it's easy to start a ministry or start a thing or to, you know, have have these things that you want to do. Without being empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's not going to last. You can make it look good for a little bit, but it's not going to last. It will not last. We need the Holy Spirit or things are going to fall apart really quick. And something I've really been convicted of recently is really how often, how often do we give ourselves way too much credit for what the Holy Spirit has done inside of us? I know Victor has mentioned this a couple times, and I love when he mentions it, but man, it's a miracle. You just think, you just look around at these people here, like us, messed up people who are enemies of God. It's a miracle that you would find yourselves in a church like giving your time and your energy to listen to the word of God and sing praise. Like that's a miracle for people that hated God who were dead in their trespasses and sin. That's a miracle, you guys. Like we shouldn't take that for granted. We should not take that lightly. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that God would use us, weak and messed up, messed up people, to point others to Jesus. It's a miracle, you guys. We can't take that lightly. It's a miracle that God uses us to accomplish his purposes. He doesn't have to do that. 
But it's a miracle that God would call us to participate in that. It's a miracle that any good fruit would come from us to glorify and honor God. The whole sanctification process, when you think about just how ridiculous that is, it's a miracle that his spirit would dwell in us and make us look more like Jesus, people that hated him. That's a miracle, you guys. And it all goes back to the Holy Spirit at work in us. It's something that we have to give the Holy Spirit credit for. And man, it's just so easy. I've just found myself so often just becoming so nonchalant. Just so, man, like not even noticing, man, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit at work in these people's lives. I just even think about my kids. I think about my two oldest daughters too. And it's like seeing the Holy Spirit open their eyes to the truth, like really doing it. And I think I'm like, man, this is nothing I'm doing, like I'm trying, my wife and I are trying our best to point them to Christ, but I can't push this button and be like, hey, understand your depravity and know your need for Christ and repent and turn to him. Like, I can't do that. So when it happens, you're just like, whoa, like what just happened? Who did this? That's the power of the Holy Spirit working. We have to see that. We have to give credit where credit's due. It's something we should take note of. It's something we should marvel in. It's something that we should rejoice in and not just take, take so just matter-of-factly or so nonchalantly. One of the things I've really enjoyed doing this last year um, in facilitating our teen community group is noting evidences of the Holy Spirit working in some of our teens' lives. So um, last fall... Um, we, we started our new quote-unquote ministry year, kind of where we go and set the vision for the year. And one of the things we wanted to do, we talked about as pastors, was, hey, in our community groups, we want to have discussion-based, um, discussions based on the prior week's sermon. So I went to the teens, and I was like, man, can we do this? I was talking with Noel and praying about it and some of the parents, and I was like, can we do this with the teens? I went to them, I just laid it out, and I was like, hey, you guys, you know what? The Holy Spirit speaks to you, right? The Holy Spirit is not a respecter of age. Like, you can sit and you can listen to the Word of God preach, and the Holy Spirit will speak to you. He will say things to you. And when he does that, that's something to rejoice in. That's something to take note of. So I, I laid that out to the teens, and I was like, hey, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you on a Sunday morning, write that down, and we're going to talk about that. Like, it's just, that's as simple as that. Like, it's not normal for a teen to do that. I don't know if you have no teenagers and stuff. I've, you know, we're about to have a teenager. But that's not normal for a teen. A normal teen to, like, write down stuff from the Word of God and then articulate that out. That's the Holy Spirit working. It's been so encouraging. And I was kind of nervous. I was like, man, what's going to happen? It's been incredibly encouraging to see on Wednesday nights these teens get their little notebooks out and say, this is what God taught me on Sunday morning. This is what I'm thinking about. This is how the Holy Spirit convicted me. It's cool. It's neat. And then we eat a lot of Rice Krispie treats, especially Wes. He eats a lot of Rice Krispie treats. But let's recognize the Holy Spirit at work in us. Let's recognize, let's rejoice, let's marvel in those times of him encouraging us, making us more like him. And on the same note, on that same note, I want to flip that on his side a little bit too, but I think we vastly underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. 
we vastly underestimate because we take the Holy Spirit kind of for granted. And a lot of times we kind of inject our own selves and we think this is something we're kind of making happen. We vastly underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, there is so much more, so much more that God has for us. But again, because we don't see God rightly, we have this perspective problem. We lose sight of the infinite power that God has given us, that he's made available, that he's given us his spirit that's living inside of us right now. Like that's what, that's what is indwelling in us right now. We lose sight of that infinite power that's inside of us right now. You think about the disciples. After all they experienced, after all they saw Jesus do, what did they think about Jesus's ministry? They dumbed it down so low to him just rescuing a nation. And I'm not saying that's like a small deal, right? Like, man, rescuing a nation, that's, that's a big deal. But like, there's statues of people who have, quote unquote, rescued nations. Jesus says, you know what? This is so much bigger. You don't understand. My spirit, the very spirit living inside of you is going to empower you to be my witnesses, not just to this nation, but to the ends of the earth. That my spirit is going to empower you to make all the messed up things new, to restore, to rescue, and to redeem. Let's not dumb it down. Let's not dumb it down. Let's learn from that. Let's pursue more. Let's not stay content with what we're just familiar with. A lot of times, there's a mystery involved, isn't there? With how the Holy Spirit works and moves. There's a mystery there. Think about the disciples. Like, they didn't know how this was going to look or turn out. They just had the instructions and they went for it, right? That same power, like Romans 8.11 says, that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of us. Think about that promise. Think about that mystery. To wrap it up this morning, um, I want to ask one final question here. I want you to think about this. So you think about this. So what did the disciples do? And what were their attitudes as they were waiting for the promise? as they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. And in that question, I want to ask the question of all of us this morning. Where do we turn? Where do you go? Where do you turn in these what's next moments? In the moments that might be a little confusing or unexpected, or maybe moments that you're just like, man, I'm, I'm trying, like, I don't see anything happening. This just feels like a burden where do we go to keep our eyes fixed on what following Jesus is all about? Where do the disciples turn? So Acts 1.14 says they were really about, when it comes down to it, they were about two things. Two things. They gathered often and they prayed regularly. That's what they did. As they were waiting for the Holy Spirit, they gathered often and they prayed regularly. Like it's not that complex, right? Just simple. They gathered often and they prayed regularly. They were faithful with the instructions they were given. They were faithful in the little things. You know, they didn't necessarily know what the promise would look like. They didn't have it all planned out. They didn't have a timeline. You know, we get to see the story from 
the end. You know, we get to see the beginning from the end. And we can see how everything went down. But they didn't know. Like, they didn't know how this mysterious Holy Spirit was going to come. They had no idea. But what they did know was, hey, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. As they waited, they gathered often and they prayed regularly. Let's do the same thing as a church family, you guys. Let's do the same thing. Let's not neglect the little things. Let's not minimize the simple assignments that God's given you every day. And all those what's next moments, all the moments of, man, I'm just waiting. Be faithful. Those times you feel like, man, I don't really know what to do next. Just be faithful. Be faithful in the little things. Be faithful to what God's called you to do. Husbands, be faithful to lead your family, to leave your wife, lead your wives to lead your children, wives, be faithful to support your husbands, teens, be faithful to be obedient to your mom and dad, to work at school as under the Lord. When you go to work in the morning, all you guys like myself, I'm going to wake up and, and go to Olathe and, and do some IT stuff. Man, what do I do? I want to see the Holy Spirit move. I want to see him work. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I do know I can work as under the Lord. I do know I can pray and ask and keep my mind set on him. That's what I do know. I don't know what every, anything else is going to look like. Be faithful in what God has called you to. As a church family, let's pray regularly. Let's not neglect gathering together to pray regularly in our community groups. Again, our monthly prayer meetings, which hopefully, man, I would love to have even move that to bi-weekly or weekly prayer gatherings. Let's do first things first, right? Let's gather regularly and be faithful in the little things. Let's pray together. We'll partake of the table. Father God, we thank you so much. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your kindness in giving us your word. And God, again, we confess, God, just like the disciples, God, how messed up, God, how weak we are. God, how often we lose sight of who you are and what you're really about. Father God, would you please give us a more clear view of who you are? God, your Holy Spirit at work inside of us, would you give us a greater revelation of who God is, who Jesus is? God, would you please convict us even right now? God, as we come to the table God, would you convict us out of areas where, man, we have nothing to do. These, these areas have nothing to do with proclaiming your kingdom. Holy Spirit, would you please convict us? God, cause our hearts to be realigned with what you're doing so that we're not chasing lesser causes and building lesser kingdoms. Holy Spirit, please show us Jesus more clearly, more rightly. God, we're weak. We're like the disciples. We're, we lose sight. It's almost comical sometimes. God, would you please do this for us? God, as a church, would you please do this for us? Please, Father God, we ask so that you'd be glorified so we can participate and have more joy. That we can have more joy and more satisfaction in who you are and what you're doing. Please do this for us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, early.